And then here we go in three, two. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Christian. <laughs> and you're listening to the Radio Arcade Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> And we're back without any technical difficulties. We're not restarting at all. Oh, <laughs> oh, that wasn't, didn't make me want to hit everything I can see. <laughs> <laughs> and here, I'm just going to do a quick summation uh, briefly, just so we're not revisiting everything. Uh, but it's been a hot minute since you and I have been able to record together. Uh, Christian, I wanted to thank you for being so understanding why I had to step away basically for a month. Um, just with the job and everything and i'd unintentionally been pulling back from doing as much on the podcast and you have stepped up in spades and you've just everything you've been doing with it has been so awesome and i wanted i've thanked you privately i wanted to thank you publicly but we'll breeze past this as well because i know me complimenting you a lot makes you uncomfortable <laughs> but i i would be remiss if i didn't how have you been sir um i've been okay I guess, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, slowly, like, been getting more active and productive and eating more, so, yeah, I think things are starting to look up, which is good. Nice. Yeah, how about you? Nice. I just don't even mean to ask you, I want to ask you about how the, how the house repairs have gone, or are they, are they still going, or what's up with that? Um... The house repairs are like 99% done. I thought they were done, but then there was one spot where um, we've realized there's kind of a hole in the wall um, from where the people had to move the, um, basically over the course of the repairs. Um, a while ago, electricians came in and ended up messing up a wire. Um, and then we lost a light entirely. And then so we had to get electricians back in and then the contractors back in they had to switch where the light switch going up into the attic was um and then because of the type of wood and paneling and all that like they got everything back up but now there's just a hole in the wall where the paneling used to be um and it's not like that paneling was there to replace it so we're everything's done except they're gonna come back in to fill that hole um, once that's done, everything's everything's done. The house is much more functional now. Still not a hundred percent, but it's it's usable again. Like Jill has her office. I'm working on mine. Um, thank you for asking, sir. Yeah, no problem. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I monologued. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. It's like oh, there's a hole. They got to come back and fix it. Right on. Okay, so uh, let's. <laughs> Yeah, I gave way too many details. I'm sorry. It's okay, man. I don't know. It's what I do. Well, I feel like we live in a world where people don't ask questions, so everyone feels like they got to give every detail while they have the opportunity. Yeah, that's fair. I got to yeah. get better at that, though. Yeah. Well, I think it also comes from, like, and I, I used to do that a lot, too, and I think it comes from being, um, you know, from interacting with people online, right? Because people are, like, everyone's so quick to, give, to, like, not give you the benefit of the doubt that you're, like, you have to give all the info, right? So that they can't make an assumption. They can't make, like, a, a, a discharitable or an uncharitable assumption, right? Well, you didn't mention this one particular situation, so you must be, you know, Hitler or something. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I also weirdly think part of it is just with you, there's always been that 
Uh, well, that a little bit, but also with you, there's been that, there's always that comfort where even if I don't want to share something at the time, you're someone I know I can always share with. Yeah. Whereas even though I made friends at work, there would often be times where it's like, how are you? It'd just be that, oh, I'm okay. And that would be it where I'm like, I'm not getting into this with you. You don't want to know this, like you, <laughs> that kind of thing. So then unfortunately the people that I can share with, I'm like, here's everything <laughs> i get that man yeah yeah it's interesting i uh yeah anyway let's move on um <laughs> sure <laughs> and we're not talking about that anymore um, so. yeah no no um so yeah what's been going on man what what's new with you i know you've mentioned you've got some games you're excited for Right. Uh, the best game ever. And uh, remember when I used to say that all the time for like every new game I would play? Like, dude, Chris, it is the best game ever. <laughs> and then you'd be like, you say that about every game. I'm like, well, it's like, that's because this is the newest game. Like, if I had said, if I just. <laughs> um. Yeah, but yeah, then I start the bar, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know how this came um, around this inclination. I, I think maybe I watched a video on, on like a retrospective on Pokemon or something, but uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to play uh, the newest Pokemon, like Pokemon Scarlet or Violet, uh, and mm -hmm. so I grabbed Pokemon Scarlet, and it's interesting because it's a lot like it's like Arceus or Arceus. I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, which came out last year or two years ago where mm. it's it's fully open world you see the pokemon and run up to them like they're, they're not hidden in the grass there's no cut screen when you encounter them it's literally they're everywhere you just run up to them and fight them and um that was really really neat it was like the first it was like uh right when they basically discovered pokemon or invented pokeballs and stuff like it was way in the past it's very it's an interesting game but uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are in the same vein in the sense that they are also open world. You can go anywhere you want, uh, but um, it doesn't run anywhere near as well. There, mm. there are sections near the end of the game where it's going like literally like 11 frames per second or 12 frames per second. It just everything's in slow mo, like it's in molasses or something. And the end, like there's just it's like an unfinished game compared to especially compared to like other like every other Pokemon game. It's just it's shameful almost like it's a bit gauche to even talk about it because I feel, I feel bad for the developer. <laughs> it's uh, I love that you said gauche. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit gauche to even bring it. It's like, Oh, you should just feel bad about those poor people. You shouldn't even, you shouldn't try and be like, you guys did a crap job. You know, it's your fault. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, um, I'm, gonna... I'm thinking the Parks and Rec episode where mm. Kristen Bell is there from Eagleton. It's like we don't talk about taxes or money. It's a bit gauche. It's a bit gauche. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's the same thing. Yeah, uh, but I will say that it is a lot of fun, and it makes me want to grab. Um, they did a remake of Red, Blue, Yellow for the Switch called Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu. And uh, oh, cool. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So I want to I wanna try those. Uh, and, ooh, something I'm very excited about is um, they're coming out with a remake of Super Mario RPG. Like an act, like a full-fledged remake. And um, I that was a game I really, really wanted to play when I was a kid. But my parents never got it for me and I never got to play it. So, uh, I don't know, 26 years later, I'm finally going to be able to play it. <laughs> Nicer. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, what about you, man? Uh, the only game that I can think of that's that's coming out that I'm like, yes, must buy, um, is Spider-Man Two. I'm I'm stoked for that game. That game looks that game looks amazing. And the last one was so bloody good. Um, and out of the little things I've seen from it, I love what Insomniac's doing. Um, and then it's cool because you'll get to play as both Miles and Peter and have, like, I think it's going to be mostly a Peter Spider-Man game. But this time's the Miles missions, you're actually going to get to be Spider-Man. It's not going to be like, okay, I'm stealthing around an area and trying not to step on glass to alert a guy who's going to shoot me. Um and then of course the the symbiote being in it, like I'm I'm stoked. That game's gonna be dope. Yeah, it's that's gonna be really sweet. It, it's making me really want to grab a PS5. I, I... Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, and and then in, I think it's Insomniac as well. They're coming up with a Wolverine game. Uh... Yeah, that one I'm that one I'm interested in. Um, I think I was talking about uh, yeah I was talking about this with my uh, brother-in-law Caleb. I'm curious how they're going to do a Wolverine game in the sense of, like, when we think, of course, when you think really good superhero games, you think open world, like, Insomniac Spider-Man. Like, New York is your playground, and it's huge. And in, in Spider-Man 2, the map is going to be apparently, like, double like double the size. There's going to be a, more burrows you can go into. Um or the Arkham games where the maps got increasingly big, but like you had a huge open space and you had ways to traverse that territory, like gliding, web swinging, Batmobiling. Wolverine doesn't have that. So I'm like, it's, it's bound to be open world, but how, how, like, how are we going to do this? So I'm curious what the story is going to be. Like, I think you could do Wolverine takes the X, X jet to Japan and solves some mysteries or something <laughs> or fights some ninjas or goes off into the northern Canadian wilderness. But I'm curious how they're going to do that, because with these big open world games, like Wolverine walks. <laughs> so I'm curious. I'm I'm want to see more and learn more about that. Yeah, like he doesn't, he's always either part of a team or he's doing some sort of clandestine thing that is not very interesting to me. And so I, but either actually both of those aren't really interesting to me. I, I, I don't know why I think Wolverine's such a cool character now that I think about it. But, um, he, I just, I just like that the claws, the adamantium skeleton, the fast healing, it's, it's all very cool. Right. Uh, I, but I think he's a very very cool character and some of it like his initial solo run and I think Claremont had a hand in the Wolverine in Japan arc um which was the the movie The Wolverine was a very loose adaptation of um there's a lot of good character stuff and good stories with Wolverine but like 
I'm just wondering how he would work in a non-team setup in an open world game. Because some, like, I think that's... Yeah, well, sorry. Yeah, no, please, I want to hear it. Right. Uh, but without having to have like, you know, we have four or five different large open world maps, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Or not not large, large, but you know. Um, and, and I feel like the you kind of need different settings, but the more settings you have, the less like the more amount of time and effort and money you're going to have to put in uh, to making those large, right? And and even then, with technology, you only have so much you can do yeah. while sort of maintaining your tone, right? Or your artistic vision without having to go into things like procedural generation and stuff. So um, I would be interested in a Wolverine game, maybe maybe like Red Dead, where you have like different biomes or states or things connected like maybe it's like you can go into canada but you also you have like some northern states and then maybe like there's an aspect of like yes there's a japan area sort of like tahiti and red dead Hmm. and uh but i was thinking like he could traverse these maps and stuff by like gta he just hijacks like a jeep or a motorcycle Hmm. i i always for some reason i always see him with a motorcycle i I don't know it just seems very logan it it is well he also I mean, to be fair, uh, in the X-Men movies, like, he stole and rode off on uh, Cyclops' motorcycle. Um, so that, there is room for it. But I, I hadn't pictured it exactly like you said, because I, I haven't played Red Dead. Um, so no, that's, that's fair. That's interesting. Um, yeah. The, the only other... Yeah. <laughs> what, would, what would he be doing because <laughs> it seems like everything he does is either like they're all missions you know he doesn't really go in his zone and solve crimes or anything it's all like there's always a reason for him to be leaving the compound or out in the world doing something so i don't know it kind of it, it's weird because i'm like i would really really want it to be open world but yeah i don't really see how that works with him yeah like unless it's like it could be the whole like a, a huge thing with Wolverine is like him not knowing his past. Um, so it could be that. But then I'd be like, dude, do part of the game where you get to play as Wolverine through like the Civil War and then the World Wars. Like that's how we can get to different different places, different countries. But then that also might not be that might be too linear as well. So it's I like not much has been mentioned about the game. So I'm like I. It's Insomniac. So far, the superhero games they've done have been dope. So I don't doubt that they'll be dope. But I don't know how it's going to be pulled off with this character in particular. But it's it's one I'm very interested in. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I just, I don't, my what I really don't want is for it to just be like a linear action game. Yeah. But I feel like that's far more conducive to Logan than, than an open world game. But um, I, I'm pretty sure it's Insomniac. They're also yet another. I think they're also working on a Daredevil game, or is, or is another Sony studio working on a Daredevil game? Oh, cool. 
I hadn't heard yeah, about that. EA is working on an Iron Man game. I want to say, oh, cool. But I know EA's track record is hit or miss. So I'm like, I'm not going to say yay just yet. But yeah, there's, it's, you know, as a gamer, as someone who's un- understands people's general thoughts and attitudes towards the Iron Game, Iron Game, Iron Man games of the past yeah. and the mistakes therein, you would assume that a company, a multi, like one of the biggest, if not the biggest video game publisher on the planet would understand this and make sure not to make those same mistakes. But I, I, they, nothing about their behavior in the past has demonstrated that they, un, that they will understand exactly. it. So I, I, again, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I don't really have a lot of faith. Like I, I, I'd like it to, I'd like it to be good. Of course I want it to be good. Cause Hey, I like liking things. You like liking things. And most of the time when I play mm-hmm. games, it's based on something that I have a pre-invested interest in. Um, so, of course, when it be it superheroes or Star Wars, I want that thing to be good because I want to buy it and buy it. Um, but it's it'd be different like if Rocksteady announced like, hey, we're making an Iron Man game. I'd be like, all right, first of all, I'm a little upset that that rumor that's been around for years that you were making a Superman game never came to fruition. Um, But I'd automatically be like, you're making an Iron Man game? I have no doubt this is going to be awesome because you made three amazing Batman games. Um, uh, Whereas EA, like, they've done numerous sports titles, some which are, I've heard, amazing, and others which I've heard are just the same game just a year later. And then some of the stuff they did with Star Wars was, like, the Battlefront stuff is not good. So with them, it's not that automatic, like, I'm assuming this is good because you've given me no reason to doubt you. Like, Insomniac, even though I'm not sure how they'll pull off Logan, I'm just like, no, you've done two amazing Spider-Man games. Um, I have no doubt that you'll have done three by the time Logan drops. I have no reason to think anything other than this game is going to be really, really good. Um, But then with it, like EA, I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. (laughs) 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 Weird noises. Oh, man. Weird noises. (laughs) I was just like, we went um, on, what did, did you go see fireworks and stuff on Canada Day? No, no. Um, Mike. Go on though. <laughs> Mike was uh, kind enough to uh, offer to, to pick me up and drop me off. He's like, you want to go see the fireworks? So I was like, hell yeah, man. Uh, and we got Darko in on it. And um, Oh, cool. Yeah, we, we all just... We we walked from dark. We were watching a movie at Darko's place, and then we just walked from there through the through Taylor Creek, uh, and we were standing. So, my dad would always take me to Stan Wadlow when I was a kid to watch the fireworks, and we'd always be in in the. You were there one year, actually. You were with us, and. Yeah no, there. I remember that year because you and I on the walk back to your house, we threw a lawn chair off the bridge. <laughs> oh, I. I did not remember that. Oh, well, yeah, to be young, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, reckless. <laughs> young, dumb, and full. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh so, <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't finish that. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so, but we, I would always watch them from the field, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the first year, uh, and it's the first time I've been back in like over a decade, I think, but it was the first year where we actually watched them from the other side of the field, like, like literally like right behind where they set them off. 
um, in the valley. And it was insane. Like, they were literally right over our heads. And I had to, like, plug my ears because it was so loud. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was really fun. It was cool. I made, I made a, a, a there was this, uh, this black dad standing next to us. And I, I would say inappropriate things, and I made him laugh. It was awesome. <laughs> That was to me. That was the best part of the night. <laughs> like I am killing it tonight <laughs> with these strangers. <laughs> I am validated that the stranger finds me hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like my friends don't seem to find me as funny, but they're dumb. So this guy knows what's up. <laughs> Stupid Mike and Dark Butt don't know how the genius is in their presence. <laughs> Yeah, they they really need to get over themselves and enjoy my comedy. That's, that's... <laughs> oh man. Oh, how is how is Darko? It's I. Yeah, I haven't seen him in or talked with him in ages. Yeah, he's okay. Uh, I don't know how much information I can give, but oh, it... uh, he recently found an. What? What were you saying? Well, I was going to say, like, if it's not anything you should say, uh, we'll save it till off the air. Or <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he recently got a new job and he purchased another car, which is awesome because I need as many friends with cars as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> and, but oh, he seems to be doing well. Good. Which is good. Is he still, like, is he still living with Christina, basically? No, no, he, he, no. <laughs> but they were never really living. That's fair. He still lives at Rexley and she lives. Oh, right. You know, yeah. No. He, he always had his own place. Sorry. I didn't realize that. I thought when he moved to Rexley, he like, they were living together. That's what I assumed had that. That was just me not understanding. Uh, also, we can cut this section out because we're not trying to talk about our, our friend's personal life without him here. Um my bad. No, that's fine. Uh, he's doing well. Good, good. I guess that's what I should have said. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, My fault. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I should have moved on, but I, I, I should also just text him. <laughs> yeah, text your friends, Chris. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember at one point, like, and it's not in a bad way. It's just like. One of the things I love about friendships, like, a, Darko's the type of friend who you cannot see for a while, but then when you do, you're just almost picking up right where you left off. Um, and he and I have always kind of had that relationship, where at one point, uh, he was like, I, uh, I was like, why don't you text me? He's like, I could ask you the same thing. And then later on, he was like, why don't you text me? I'm like, it's a two-way street, bud. <laughs> but then when we do connect, it's just like it's that next day, and we're just like right back at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he's he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Dark was Dark was great. Dark was great. He's a good guy. He is. Uh, Not like that, Mike. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, that was that was the subtext, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Shut up. <laughs> Actually. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Fight me, Mike. <laughs> no, um, I was gonna ask. Oh, dude, you know what I wanted? Oh, oh, what? No, no. Ask, what? ask it, ask away. No, I, I, I lost it. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so I. <laughs> oh, good. I recently I wanted to um, I want to get a library card. 
Like, there's so many, like, manga and, like, movies and games and stuff. Do you can get from it, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I've wanted to, I really want to get back into reading, you know, instead of, uh, instead of just playing video games, uh, when, like, for recreation. Yeah. Dude, do uh, it. Yeah, uh, I don't know. A couple years I think years I'm going to do it. Do it. <laughs> just cut to Palpatine. Do it. Um... I am the Senate. It's like that doesn't. It's not a relevant quote. Why, why would you do that? Quote? Um, no, like a couple of years ago, um, when I was working at Living Rock, and I was running the evening thing. Like at some point, I wanted to bring in DVDs and stuff that I didn't have, and I didn't have a way of hooking up my laptop. So if it was something I had a digital copy of. And then my buddy was just like, he'd pick up stuff from the library for me. So I'm like, I'm just going to get a library card. Never since then, like occasionally I'll pick up comics, but like, you know, I like audiobooks because that's the best way I can read. Um, and I'll say it counts. I'll fight you. Um, so there's an excellent app called uh, Libby. And yes. to use it, you need a library card and you can also get digital versions of books and stuff through the app on, I believe on your phone or on mm. your tablet as well. So that's where it's like, man, just it, get the card. And then if you're not feeling like actually going to the physical library, you can use it for Libby. If I could somehow get a Toronto library card to use on that, I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really good idea. I, I, yeah, I just want to start doing things that are better for me. Like, like I said, right? You gotta yeah. Make it till you make it. Yeah. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Like that's where I got to where I'm at by just, uh, you know, letting the grooves run in my brain and getting into a, uh, a habit of certain things of certain coping mechanisms and. Now it's just a matter, like, obviously it's, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to keep it in my mind where it's like, yeah, dude, it's going to suck. It's going to be very, very difficult because you've gotten very used to be your behaviors for decades now. And, and so yeah, it's going to be a real pain in the ass, uh, you know, getting yourself out of it. But I think it's just a matter of exercising that, that capability of like neuroplasticity. Uh, and I think your your brain and your body will fall in line like your mind will fall in line like eventually it'll be like okay well this is the only way i'm going to be getting my dopamine so i might as well release it or whatever when you know like he's okay what he's not going to do anymore is he's not going to lay in bed for like 12 hours playing video games so the only way i'm going to get my dopamine is if i'm like hey like he, he wants to read a book right something like that so um i, I didn't explain that well but you i think you get what i'm saying <laughs> No, I, I, I get what you're saying entirely. It's, it is complicated, very complicated unlearning behaviors. But then also with that, it's, it's complicated where like, oh, this is the thing that I've been getting dopamine from, but too like, I'm doing this too much and I'm not even getting that dopamine hit like I used to. Um, and there's things I could be doing that's better for me. So then relearning. <laughs> like relearning skills is tough enough, but then also changing what gives you that good feeling is also like that's that's an even more complicated level of change. Um, so my hat's off to you. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, because you're intentionally trying to change your personality, essentially, right? And it's it's, it's absolutely possible, but it, it's extremely difficult, right? And um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of what I'm 
focusing on in therapy right now, I, I think, uh, <laughs> is uh, just trying to like just push push through the un- how uncomfortable I am not doing the things that gave me comfort. Right. 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 No, that's that's yeah. good, man. That's seriously good for you. Well, I appreciate. It. Yeah, it's it's. He says it's like. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, but he talked about uh, the hero archetype, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and, and I don't mean this, I don't mean to be flippant, but uh, you, you see it anywhere from, you know, King Arthur to Captain America to, and again, not being flippant, uh, possibly, potentially Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's he, he's an archetype. And he goes out into the unknown, and he brings back wisdom. He fights a, a, a dragon, you know, a, it could be a literal dragon, it could be a metaphorical dragon, um, it could be Romans, you know. Um, it, but he comes back with wisdom, right? And and you see that that's almost the only story that exists, right? And it's not just he, it's, it, it's he with respect to, we're talking about Joseph Campbell, because he came up with this theory a long, long time ago, but it's anyway. The hero's right? um, journey. It could be Ray from Star Wars. Yeah. Yes, it could be Luke from Star Wars. Yeah. It, it, the um, like George Lucas. Even Anakin, right? He he went. In. George Lucas acknowledges, <laughs> like, yeah, no, that was the like I based it on the works of Joseph Campbell, but the hero's journey. Like, I'm pretty sure he said that movie. Yeah, and <laughs> Harry Potter, right? And and so my therapist is is trying to get me to to frame things like that and. It's one thing I'm noticing is that I'm so far removed from like any, how do I explain this? Like sincere reaction or connection to any idea, thought, emotion, or person. And it's like, it's so like I have them, but I don't. It's like there's a wall in between me and the experience, and I'm trying to figure out what that is and like break it down. But it's, um, the more I talk to him and and the more I think about it, the the more that does sort of. It, it, it's it's like a fake it till you make it, right? right. Like I, I'm, you know, and therapy has been really, really good to have someone to come back to every week and keep things objective and, and have a third person perspective to like show you where your thoughts and opinions are actually being driven by like a mental illness or something, right? Like I, I have a lot of very quick, rapid, negative, cynical thoughts and I'm having to learn the, to, to, to stop myself and say, dude, that's depression. That's meant like you can't, in a way, you can't trust your own mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when you, when you remove that, as, when when you create the idea that that is something separate from you, all of a sudden it, it it doesn't seem so insurmountable. It doesn't seem like it is your reality. It seems like it's something that you just have to fight against, and you can fight against. Like it, uh, so. Anyway, I don't know what, how I got onto that. <laughs> oh, I, I. But you know, I I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and being vulnerable like that no so thank you thank you for sharing that i really i really do appreciate it that's sweet man thank you no problem no problem um <laughs> no just because i like I, it's also incur- i i need to go to therapy i need to figure out how to get that done uh because i need stuff <laughs> it was I can't remember what I was going to say. I'm drawing a blank for the second time. My brain legit just farted the second time in this conversation. I'm so sorry. No. No, I'm sorry. 
Um, okay, yeah, no, it, this is totally off topic, and we don't have to park here long. Um, okay. Did you know Canada committed war crimes in World War One? Whoa. Uh, uh, no. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was wondering if it was, like, just me, but I'm like, we didn't learn that in school. Um, like, yeah, no, they, they, the Canadian infantry did stuff that would be considered war crimes. Um, and not in a way to make light of it, but you know how you and I will look at something like the Boston Tea Party and we can chuckle at it just because we, we can see the almost like cartoony, absurd version of it. Like they dumped our tea, so we shot them. Yeah. Um, the Canadian troops, like not all of them, and it's not to like condemn them now because it's 90 years removed and it was a very different time. But no, there was stuff they did that were like, they didn't take prisoners. If Germans surrendered, they still killed them. Or at one point, they, uh, like, I think they overgassed with mustard gas or something. But there was another spot hmm. where they throw, like, corned beef into, like German, like, German areas across just to see if anybody was there. And there was, at points, an unspoken rule, it seemed, between the other countries and Germany where it's like, live and let live like unless we are directed to kill each other or have an immediate battle right now like we know we're there but we're not going to instigate a fight like hmm. I, i'm even i've even got some articles open up where it was like no the directive from like the germans had a spec almost a special hatred for canada because canadian troops were like no we're we're killing Germans. Like, that's what we're here to do. Um, out of that co throwing corned beef, when they were like, oh, give us more, they lobbed over grenades and stuff. Like, it's it's messed up. And I only started learning about it, like, the other day. And it's something I've always, like, we up in Canada have always looked at the U.S. Like, when you guys learn your history, there's so much stuff you don't learn. Like, you're not aware of, like, some of the atrocities that you've done. And then I'm like, ah, oh, hmm. crap, we're just as bad in some ways. Because I'm like, I'm 35, I'm almost 36. And I'm now just learning about some of the horrible behavior that we did in the world wars. Where I'm like, why... Why yeah. don't we learn that? We we should learn that. And it doesn't need to be like, hey, we're all awful for doing it. Because, yes, the behavior was awful, but there was also good that the troops did. So I don't know, but I'm just like, why didn't we know about this? Well, okay. I think I – so my thoughts on it are – okay, so the first thing I thought was World War One was – it's it's weird because both the world wars are, are particularly transformative mm -hmm. in the sense of war they transformed what war was right yeah and um with respect to world war one that was the first war like before it was all like even the civil war and stuff like it before it was all formations and like gentlemen's agreements and and it was very formal and um with World War One, it, it it just became like an in the dirt, uh, anything goes sort of thing, right? Like that was after World War One is when they wrote the I think that was when they wrote the Geneva Conventions about like using chemical warfare and and stuff like that, uh, because of how horrifying it was, and it was the first time they essentially done stuff like that, like mustard gas and chlorine gas and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I and I I know for a fact that like Canadians weren't the only ones to do no, that, no, but it no. sounded to me like it. Uh, no, no, yeah. no, and 
I'm not. Um, yeah, and so um, I'm not saying you said the Canadians mm-hmm. were the only ones who did that, but I'm just saying in general, uh, and, and and that isn't to say that it. I I will absolutely address the morality of all this when I'm done talking about my first idea, <laughs> uh, and um, yeah. So I I think likely there was situations wherein maybe certain generals or, or, or colonels or whoever um, were still sort of adhering to the old code or the old ways of doing things. And other people were like, this is hell. This is World War One. We want to get like, well, we're going to kill you to every last man until this ends, right? This is going to end. And if it means killing you, then like, so be it. We're not going to sit here for days in the trenches waiting for you to start bombing us, right? Well, <laughs> the second I see you, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and to me, that makes sense with respect to like if you're an infantryman in survival right like you're in the situation against your will why would you want to sit in a trench waiting to be bombed go kill them Mm -hmm. right if you're going to die anyway uh but with respect to the morality of these countries and and the acts i i uh i don't know man i think every like it, it it doesn't there's no use in comparing the atrocities of one country oh yeah to another yeah uh it doesn't make it yes we're all guilty like if we're gonna do that then we might as well just say yes we're all pieces of of crap no one follows any sort of coherent moral framework (laughs) irrespective of of their religious or non-religious affiliation um i don't know i i just i i'm i feel like we should not give anyone any moral leeway ever (laughs) that's that's sort of my my thoughts on morality but, um, yeah. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. Um, yeah, no, it was just, oh, man, I wish I had the, I wish I had the quote. Um, but it's also, like, of course, everybody, like, there's the Canadian stereotypes now. Um, hmm. But then even where our military is at now, where they're mostly a, a peacekeeping force, um but then it's even still just kind of like shocking because we, we of course, when we learned about World War One, they talk about like the the heroics and Vimy Ridge, and of course with World War Two, like how Canada stepped up and really helped out a lot. But I'm like, there seems to be this huge piece to it where it'd be like Germans would surrender, and then they'd be like, no, we're not taking prisoners. Like you just killed a bunch of my friends. You don't get to wave a white flag uh, like that attitude and direct quotes where I'm just like, whoa, like mm-hmm. why? Like this is there's stuff to learn from here. Why? Why didn't we learn about this in school? Um, no. So that. that Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, we did. We did learn about it in Saving Private Ryan. Learned about it there. <laughs> but yeah, this is part of it. It's like it's. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see that. Like if, if I was any other country um i would be like the only reason i'm here in in the uk right now and not with my family is because of you supporting some fascist dickhead right and you going around raping and killing a bunch of innocent civilians so yes i don't care if you like it, you should have surrendered <laughs> before you even started right if if you wanted mercy so i don't know i i it, it's interesting because i feel like uh, the world war, like I, I generally feel like everyone is guilty in war, yeah, or more equally guilty. But at the same time, I do understand that like a lot of men don't have a choice. 
yeah in in fighting wars for other people so it's uh i don't know like it, it's it's weird when when I, okay so I, when i said i i don't i don't believe we should give anyone moral leeway i that is my ideal world i understand it's not the world we live in and that humans are human they are imperfect right mm-hmm. and while i do have the attitude that yes we if if you have that attitude we'll always be imperfect <laughs> like we're never going to be perfect with that attitude right <laughs> uh it, I I do understand that's not the reality of right. the situation. Um, so I I don't know. It's it's weird. I I, I have an idealized version of of uh, a moral human, but I understand that's not reality. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> I recognize that. That. Um. <laughs> yeah. It's well, I've, I, man, I've been thinking so like I because you and I talk about like what makes a good person and what makes a bad person, and, and I'm constantly coming back to that, and I'm constantly trying to think, I'm trying to understand my emotions about it, and I'm trying to understand where I'm coming from, and I'm I think I've gotten to a point where I'm thinking to myself, like the only reason, like something okay, so here here's something that comes up when people are like that that attitude of like oh there's always going to be you know um jerks in the world there's always going to be a-holes and you're gonna have to learn how to deal with them and my thought is n- the only reason there are a-holes in the world is because people like you run interference for them and don't and you're too cowardly to stick up for other people or speak the truth or anything like that right and so uh, i don't know I, I i think it sort of falls back to that where i think a lot of the wrong in the world are, are just people's weaknesses and, and cowardices and and fears and lack of uh, moral conviction and principles and stuff like that. It's it's, and I, I don't think I'm done thinking it through. Mm-hmm. But the point where I've gotten to it sort of scares me because <laughs> I'm like, it, I feel like it paints me as like a, a like if I'd be afraid if I got power over people type of thing. Um. So yeah, I'm still trying to understand why I feel that way, or, or what's the correct way of judging humanity as a species. <laughs> I get that. I I get that. I do. You know, it's yeah. I I mean, especially I assume it's like a Christian. You probably think about this stuff a lot, right? Yes and no. Um, it's just because of points. I'm like. This is daunting, and what, like, do I actually have any thoughts here, or, like, what makes a good person, and then, mm. and then for me as well, I end up, my line of thinking is, I'll end up seeing a lot where I'm like, it's not where it should be, we're not who we should be, and then I'm like, well, I, I don't want to keep thinking, because uh, then I'm just going to a bad place. Um just because that's something. Yes. That's, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I feel. I feel like me. I, I'm coming from. There's a lot of hubris there. And there's a lot of. And I think even here. I think even if I'm right, or even if you're right, like because I understand. Like I see a lot of Christians, especially you know conservative Christians in the states, saying and doing a lot of things that I, not being a Christian, I, I, I don't know. I, I would associate with definitely not Christianity, right? Yeah. Um, I, not behavior and so i always think about how you feel as someone who also identifies as a christian seeing these people exhibit almost to a t exactly what um you know jesus warned about with respect to people following like false prophets and stuff right oh Uh, a 
thousand percent dud dude i I was gonna say dude and bud and it came out as dud (laughs) but dud (laughs) there's a freudian slip (laughs) like no thousand percent um and that's and that's something where it can end like i can start in a way spiraling a bit like something i've become aware of Mm -hmm. like earlier when i mentioned like i i need stuff is uh regards to therapy like when i got that adhd diagnosis a lot of things started making so much sense um and then with that one of the things that like other people have it too but it seems to be like a universal consensus and for me it fits to a t is uh something called rejection sensitivity disorder where even if there's like someone didn't say anything in a rejective way it's like my mind can interpret it as such and that sends me spiraling and then it's like for the next hour i just uh, next hour however long i just get hyper focused on like the negative thoughts and stuff so i need to combat that i need to I, like I need mm. to figure out ways to deal with that, but my difficulty has been when I've been trying to find resources to like, hey, here's some tips to help work with that. As I'm broaching the subject, it's like my brain's like, nope, you're just gonna focus on those on those times where you've been rejected, even if you haven't, and you're just gonna spiral. So at times, like there's stuff I want to engage, but I'm like, I I can't right now. Um, like. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And, like, there, there's times with that where, like, I, there's, I like being well-informed. It, like, I haven't done the shorts on OCR in so long, but, like, even I appreciated you telling me how you thought I was, like, how well I was treating those and, like, seriously and all that. But then at points... Yeah, you did a really good job. I'd be working myself up almost like i've got to have this but then in my head Mm -hmm. i'm prepping for like the down shooting and then i'm just getting to this bad draining place where i'm like i'm already like i'm already feeling rejection even though like it hasn't happened yet um Mm -hmm. and then there's other things with anxiety and depression all wrapped up in that because it's it's a rich tapestry of unfunness um and shame don't forget shame oh yes and shame too and feeling shame about feeling that way uh so it's just like it's there's times where i'm like i want to engage with this i want to have this conversation or i want to be like the hell are you doing but then i'm like i can't because my mind jumps to that next step or two even though we're not there yet (laughs) so it's yeah and that's where at points i'm much more i'm much more comfortable just being like in a way live and let live or i'm like it's like look you do you it's none of my damn business until it has a negative impact on others um so yeah that's where it's it's tricky
morally defensible to uh, just sort of say, uh, how do I explain this? Um, to just be like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like I, I, it's none of my business. I can't change things. This, it's not going to help me or the people I know and love. Uh, and it's just like, there's no point in there's no point in judging others to that extent right like because i'm like even if i'm right about my moral condemnation of of humanity (laughs) like that doesn't it's such a extremely negative and hopeless thing right yeah and i think there are good things that a human being can experience and cultivate in their life and i think those are the things that people should focus on i think it's there's a lot of hubris to 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 judge others or condemn them uh but i, I don't know it's weird because it, it's i'm like but at the same time man if you don't say anything and if you don't think about this stuff and, and you don't have principles then what what are we yeah what do we stand for what does the world become right like it's i don't know uh, i'm really trying to figure out where yeah sorry. no 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 <laughs> i it, it it's something that you need to do because i'm like no i need to engage with this stuff but then it's also like, at points I'll have to, one, if I can't handle it, if I'm aware, like, nope, I'm getting to that place where this isn't going to be good for me. I'll engage with this when I can. Because, uh, heck, uh, it, like you and I have shared privately, like there's stuff where it's like, I should want to see this. And normally I do. But for right, for whatever reason, right now, it's stressing me out and I, or it just doesn't appeal. I can't engage with it right now. So I'm like, no, if if I'm. If I'm gonna force myself to engage with something, it's not gonna it's gonna be something that should be beneficial for me, at least so I can get to a place so I can deal with some of the heavier stuff. Um but it's a double-edged sword because you need to be aware of what's going on, you need to be able to address it. But then if you are addressing it, like what's the reason? Like what why am I addressing this? Like that's why at certain points on podcast episodes or whatever. Like between you and I, I did a I did a Spider-Man episode, uh, like an episode about um, across the Spider-Verse. And there was a couple small controversies that came out of that. Um, and I only addressed two of them. There was a third one where I'm just like, I don't get this. And this isn't my controversy. Like, it's not my place. Um, it, like there was an interpretation from some within the the Latino community because you have two characters, Miguel, um, Miguel O'Hara, and then Miles, both who are who are Latin, but one is lighter skinned, one is darker skinned, and there was stuff being read into their interactions, like racially. I'm like, I didn't get that. Oh. I just saw two different characters who are very different people, and one who's firm in his convictions, like, no, we have to like keep the canon and all that and then the other being like no i like i give a crap about that i gotta save people um to me that's the conflict but as i'm looking at these controversies i'm like i could address this but should i even be the one to do it i'm a white dude i have no stake in this fight that's not my interpretation so it's it's trying to navigate like being aware but then also like being aware when to not talk about something or not engage something, or even just like, okay, I can engage it, but that doesn't mean I should or need to speak on it. 
And it's all a rich, interesting tapestry to go through. I, I think with, with yeah, it's interesting because there are a lot of dynamics within um, communities of people of color yeah. uh, where light-skinned people are treated better than darker-skinned people, even with their, within their own cultures or their own societies or own countries and stuff. And, and so I know there's a lot of stuff there, but I think um, that being said... Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, like to liken it to white people's history, it'd be like how the English treated the Irish, or somehow how some of the Irish treated the Irish, or if we want to do the yeah. the the groundskeeper Willie and Scots and other Scots. <laughs> yeah. Scots and other Scots. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. I think it's similar. Like, um, but I, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I think that's probably, that's most likely a case of people's own experiences. Yeah. Coloring their perception. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, and it kind of, it's one of those things where a lot of this stuff, I mean, it's been proven for years that there's a lot of this stuff is not even necessarily intentional. Right. Like it's, it's like almost people like you have certain things where like, um, you know, certain data and statistics are skewed towards like white people and stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's it's so you can you could even make the argument that like, well, even the people like if the people writing it, they had the, they even internalized this and they don't even realize it. And, and so even if the people who wrote it came out and were like, no, this, that has nothing to do with anything. What are you talking about? Other people could plausibly, based on what we know, make the argument that they didn't even realize. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's but at the same time, we have so much proof um, either way that it, it, it's one of those things where and I think it comes back to what we we're talking about like before, where it's just like. I don't know, man. I don't know. You just got to be honest. Like, I have no idea. Like, I understand that, like, I have my own perception and my perception is colored by this. But it's one thing to say that. And it's another thing to say, this is what is happening. Yeah. Without actually knowing that that's what's happening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I And I wanted to give a quick example of um, what you were just saying there. Like, it, I do think it is possible for someone to in a way perpetrate that with not being aware. Um, like, something that when people cite cite crime stats against uh -huh. like from like oh but not like non non white people or like insert any group here look at how much more the violence is where it's like okay you're reading stats and you like you're not seeing the pattern that informed that and even maybe some of the people who were doing their job within that weren't aware but it's like of course there's going to be notice more crime when they're over-policed, under-treated, and forced into worse areas and not given outs. Like, of course there's going to be that. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, don't, it's traced back to, like, redlining and stuff like that, but, right? But the people who cited it, or even, people, even the people who recorded it or might have been doing the role at the time weren't necessarily aware of that behind it. it the thing is still bad. But they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I used to watch a lot of debates. I watched this guy named Vosh, and, and while I don't, there's a lot about him I don't like there, he does, he's intelligent, and he knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did appreciate, like, I would watch him have two and a half hour debates about, uh, do black people commit more crime? And, uh, you know, I would be watching, you know, white dudes, right, right wing white dudes say that there is something inherent to the genetics of black people that causes them to be poor oh. and to commit more crimes. And, and this is a two hour debate. Like it's a structured debate. And I, I watch Vosh basically just trounce this idiot, just this dumb F racist mother. It's like, he, yeah. just, <laughs> he just raked him over the coals with, with statistics and data and history and, uh, sociology and it was just it was amazing and uh, there's a lot of stuff that I can't I don't because you know like the weed use and the ADD like my memory is, is terrible but the thing is like I understand things when I'm watching them when I'm hearing them I just can't necessarily recollect them as as, as um, comprehensively as I experience them right mm -hmm. so th there are a lot of times where like I can't be bothered to explain why I have the position I have, but I know beyond like a thousand percent that I'm correct to have it. <laughs> yeah. It's, and like, I'm like, it's not, I just, I didn't decide this in myself. I watched people debate for hours and hours and hours. And I've read a lot of things to come to the conclusions I've come to. I'm not biased. I'm, well, if anything, I'm biased towards what's the best idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what's the most correct, morally defensible idea or, or whatever. Right. Anyway, I'm sorry. Chris. Is this, is this count as negative? I think it just counts as like a tangent. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say this is negative because we're not, we're not at, old men yelling at cloud territory uh i'd be like this mm -hmm. is this is heavier and more vulnerable but i uh, like to me i'd be like no this is good because sometimes we need this i'm like not to turn this into audio therapy but i'm like oh i kind of needed this today um over the pat and i needed this for a little bit so i'm like no this is this is good um it's, we're not like yelling at yelling at politicians and deliberately stayed away from certain things that have gone on where it's like you know what really grinds my gears just because i'm like no that's gonna get us both to a bad place and why would like we're gonna cut it and then also why would we listen to that and we'll both feel icky after um i don't feel that way with yeah, uh, I... this past like chunk i guess yeah like what i got the the idea i want to put forth is yeah, 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 just have humility. Yeah, keep keep in mind what's what are the things that are, are pure and give your life meaning that help you make the lives of the people you love better, and just focus on that stuff, right? Yeah, focus on what's going to make you a better person, what's going to make your life better, not any anything else. Like I, I mean, I've stopped watching the news for the most part. Like again, the only person I listen to is Pac-Man, and even then, I'm. I'm tuning in and out because he'll play a lot of clips from people who are just the worst people. But, um, but I, I, I don't know. It's, I think it's all to me, it feels like it's one big sort of, um, it's all sort of coming together in a sense where like, I'm realizing like, like, I don't want to like, I have to accept there are things I will never be able to change. Yeah. Right. Just accept that. Right. And I think, uh, there's a lot of hubris in not accepting it. <laughs> you know? uh, so I, I don't know. I've got, I think I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to think about stuff that I can't change anymore. That bums me out. That scares me. That makes like, I, I, yeah. 
I don't want to think about uh, humanity anymore. I don't think I think it's a sort of a wash, and I would prefer to <laughs> focus on other things, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, but and know, man, oh yeah, no, and I, I'm trying yeah, to get a lot better at like not choosing to be angry but then i'm like okay no if i'm going how i you if i like how i use that anger if i'm going to use it because i can't think i do think anger can be a good motivator um but that choose what i'm going to be angry at um where it's like there was there was uh to me a dumb controversy like a minor one coming out of across the spider-verse where i'm just kind of like who cares like it we're talking fictive yeah and it's just like who who cares and then even even if they go the step further because out of it some people are now pushing for for gwen to be trans where i'd be like okay we're in a multiversal story who's to say that this multiversal gwen stacy can't be like it doesn't mean everybody else it doesn't mean suddenly the original gwen was trans or the current gwen like the current spider gwen ghost spider is is that it's like there's room for this and who cares there's stuff going on that i need to there's actual stuff going on that i could be angry about that i could try to at least have a positive impact with by informing unions or messaging like my local council people or stuff like that like why should I be like, why waste energy being upset about this? Like, okay, that doesn't appeal. I'll just go to something that does. Move on. Just just move on. I'll need to do a two-hour video about how atrocious it is. Yeah, I'm so conflicted about like comments and social media and stuff because I think there's this aspect of like they've, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that people didn't know. 10 or 15 years ago that seemed to be ubiquitous knowledge now and yeah. I, I attribute that to a lot of social media which is good but at the same time i don't the, most people don't need to be heard Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Uh yeah, there's so much it's yeah, I just scroll like, you know, you scroll Facebook, you see people's comments and you see the things they say and it's like you just gotta you wonder the psychology of like the human animal and like what inspires them to do that. And, and admittedly I do it sometimes too. Like I the odd time I will comment on a Facebook post and I think back maybe even 15 20 minutes after i'm like why did i do that like what i just I, maybe i threw some negativity down or maybe i threw something down that like i'm opening myself up to negativity and it's just like i didn't care about that why did i say anything <laughs> right it's i think the ease with which people can just you know supply others with their opinion is not good it's not conducive to forming good opinions yeah the the like i realized the other day um actually while i was recording an episode i was like hey if you want to reach out to me you can do it through here or here i would say facebook but i don't use it for anything other than the podcast and 
I just share it. Like, I'd, I'd never engage on Facebook. I don't think I've posted a single non-podcasty thing in, like, the last two, three years. Um, but then I've realized when I do choose to engage with stuff, it I'm only ever, like, if it's the civil thing of, like, Hey, uh, like, for example, I know a while ago I, I talked about, like, the, the Scream subreddit being, like, surprisingly, like, complimentary and stuff, where I'm just like, this is a nice space, or something like the, where if it's asking your opinion, where, weirdly, for example, like, uh, the Halloween subreddit, someone was like, are the Rob Zombie zombie movies that bad like what's your opinion i haven't seen them uh so then it's like okay you're actually asking so i feel like it's okay for me to give my input here if it's an open-ended question and it's not going to be something like where i have to check my tone or whatever where it's i can talk about it calmly being like yes this is why it i didn't like it it didn't work for me but it might work for you if it's like that then I'm all for that, but 99% of the internet and comment sections aren't that. Uh, it's just yelling. But... actually a line he ripped from an Elvis song which uh, is a line that Elvis ripped from an old black blues musician <laughs> so yep. um, and so people are like you know what, what did some one kid was like oh it's kind of messed up blah 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 and I was just like oh okay Chris actually you know what I'm gonna do um, I don't I don't think I've ever done this on on the podcast before uh, but I'm actually going to go to my comment because it was perfect. Yeah, no, I, 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 I really want to hear what you said, actually. Yeah, okay. okay. Oh, good. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, uh, oh, man, it was so good. Oh, my gosh. Okay, okay. So, they were like, oh, crap. What did they say? I got it. Give me one second. Sorry, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, they were like, LOL, you don't find it even a little bit of a red flag that he could hear the lyric, I'd rather see you dead little girl than to be with another man and like it. It's a really problematic and controlling sentiment. And then I said, I feel like this perspective completely ignores the point of art and the scope of the human experience. Like, it supposes that nobody could have a thought or emotion or reaction they don't like, appreciate, or identify with. And I said, perhaps Lenin was exploring a part of himself he hated through art. And then this person was like, I see what you mean. I'm not trying to say people shouldn't be allowed to express negative thoughts or emotions at all, nor that those thoughts should be banned from being in music. All I'm trying to say is that it's problematic to be controlling of your partner or to the point where you kill them for being unfaithful. I guess I should have been more clear about that. And I said, yeah, but everybody knows that. I don't think anybody's going around saying that, A, the song should be taken literally, and B, Lennon was correct in the things that he said or the perspective he was on the face espousing. I said... I mean, it's not like there's some wife beater out there who is just genuinely and sincerely ignorant of the fact that he wouldn't appreciate being beaten and is just sort of waiting for someone to point out that it's wrong. To me, it's like coming in and saying, the sky is blue when nobody was saying it wasn't. You should just sort of assume that until somebody says otherwise, we all understand that the sky is blue. <laughs> nice, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I'm like, what, why did you, what was that comment for? 
like what really what was it for like it was just pure virtue signaling it was pure another vir virtue signaling i i hate it when people do that like you're not saying anything yeah like what do you what was what are you adding to anything <laughs> nothing um yeah which isn't to say that like only people like that virtue signal i mean and i'd say anyone with a with a uh you know a confederate flag or a trump sticker or whatever is doing the damn the same damn thing but um yeah no, it's, and it's so odd with with me where it, it, even that where it's like, how could this not be viewed as a problem? Where it's like, you're you also need to look at the context and the time that this was made, and of course you could respond with, well, they should have been aware. It's like, yeah, they should have, but they weren't. It wasn't the case. And he's dead. The, and he got shot to death. Like, shut the hell up. It, Leave him alone. <laughs> it's like it was one thing where, um, like, uh, when I did those uh, those Titanic episodes on on OCR, as I was doing a lot of research, I'd come across across comment sections um, where they'd be ripping into the captain uh, Edward James Smith, like who who was the captain on Titanic. And it's just like, how could this idiot think blah, blah, blah? How could this idiot think blah, blah, blah? I'm like, there are actual quotes from him directly and other sea captains. And you can look at the prevailing attitudes of the time that tell you exactly what informed this viewpoint. Does it make the action or inaction any less frustrating? No, but it also shows you, like, this wasn't some mustache-twirling villain being like, I'm out to be the most horrible person and, like, in his case, kill a bunch of people accidentally. Or in Lenin's case, like, in the this person's arguments, like, control women's case and say, like, I'm going to kill you if you're... Like, that wasn't the statement, that wasn't the attitude, and that wasn't anything informing it. Like, context is important. Like, we can look at things with our attitudes and knowledge now, but that's stuff they didn't have then. And if someone still has that attitude now, sure, take them to task. Like, they need that because there's no excuse. But, like, 1960, or in the case of the Titanic captain, like, 1911 yeah we don't have the foreknowledge that we do now and there was experiences informing those in, like incorrect conclusions at the time but just to scream at this person who's not there to defend themselves and also like look if you're going to get angry at something you should try to if you want to address something and change it it, that doesn't just come from I'm angry and I'm going to yell about it. Like, look at what's informing it so you can figure out how not to do that thing or how to address the apparent, like, why that thing is wrong. And if it's just like, no, it's wrong, sometimes it's that black and white, but other times learning what caused it is important because then you're like, hey, this was the attitude then. It's incorrect. And they learned the hard yeah, way. Yeah. Well, and Historical... <laughs> context is important and these same people are the same people who would argue that culture dictates a lot of people's behaviors yep. and perspectives yet they don't seem to take that into consideration when they're judging old white people exactly anyway Chris, yeah. what i want to ask you yes what the f are you talking about 
what in the f are you talking about? What what, do you mean? what what has happened on the Titanic that people? Like, no, because well, you keep like you're referring like nebulously to this thing no, that the captain sorry. didn't do. No, no, okay. So with Titanic, yeah, like it ran <laughs> into an well, like of course it ran into the iceberg, but people would would be taking the captain to task because it's like why didn't he slow down uh why didn't like why didn't they just pause for the night like other ships they had received ice warnings and all that where it's and then being angry and yell at like being like he caused this all these years later where i'm like i did a lot of research into it there are experts who have done so much more research into it where it's like no the prevailing attitudes at the time were like you could ram a steamship head-on into an iceberg as a German liner had done like three years prior, and it took on a little bit of water, but it still made its entire journey no problem. So this captain, who had been on the seas for years, had an attitude that was informed by his own experiences and most of British and European shipping attitudes of our engineering's at a point where we can't sink. We're beyond what nature can do to us. So people would be like the hubris and the arrogance where it's like, this is, it's, yeah, there's, there's part of that, but I don't think that's what was informing it because everything in this man's personal experiences, but the countries and European stuff was like, no, we don't need light boats for anybody, everybody, because the ships don't sink anymore unless they're attacked. Ex thousand uh, yeah yeah One who displays it again is ostracized and, and so that's the only way to actually correct any mistakes moving forward in my opinion <laughs> and, and so, uh, uh, that's the thing man i i feel like there's so much of like we, we have to understand why this people like no we don't we, we, like all we have to understand is that no one should do that ever again that's the so, only thing we need, that's the only lesson we need to take from these things right I, to it i'd um, say for me i get that with certain like with certain events um with yeah, yeah with titanic less so just because there's been people who have been villainized from it uh and that impression has stayed onwards where it's like yeah they made an like he might have made an error in judgment but then also and that error caused uh, like that error was part one of the many contributing factors to this like huge loss of life life but at the same point um, afterwards it's like it's not like he sat there twisting his thumbs like twirling his mustache uh he immediately jumped into action and he and he was like say he was doing whatever he could to get as many people off the boat saving people who were in the water and that's where it's like for me, it's like, I guess, in a way with him and some others from the from the ship, just because it's a fascinating uh, tale to me and everything. That's where it's like, no, but it, it's not just he did this. There was also some good there. Like, if you're going to look at the totality, look at the totality. And if there were attitudes now, if somebody had those attitudes, I'd be like, 
look, you're not in the early 1900s in Europe. You have no reason to have these attitudes. Uh, and now to get to the to the other point, yes, the loss of life is it, like it sucks. Five people died. That sucks. However, um, this wasn't like this was an entirely avoidable accident. Um, there are people like James Cameron who will frequently go down to the Titanic in submarines, but he's looking at it like from a historical document uh, documentary documentarian perspective like it's not like oh i just want to go down and see it um like they're studying that's fair that's fair amount of cultural and sociological hubris associated with this, this accident right this tragedy yeah and i think that's a lesson to take away from it like if there's a precaution to take take it yeah and and i think that the difference between and to speak to what you said the difference between what happened to this building like and on like there was the one kid whose dad dragged him along that's terrible right i mean it, it is it's not great that these people die but it does sort of feel like an f around find out situation um and and i think the difference between those people dying near the Titanic and the people who, and, and the captain and stuff is that, like you said, he had a lot of context and reason um, to believe that they were going to be okay. Whereas the guys who went down the sub had every single, like re they fired three people who told them that's not going to make it. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> so the, when, when we talk hubris, I point at yeah. the guy with the sub just cause I'm like, no, that's, beyond willful ignorance like when i brought up cameron it's like he's he's done his research he goes down but he's yeah. going down on subs that are designed to do it whereas this yeah. guy was like i'm gonna make a new sub with carbon fiber that won't work well uh, safety precautions get in the way of innovation are you kidding me <laughs> only someone who's never actually had to like innovate anything or or, or has never felt any um, repercussions for anything <laughs> like who, who, yeah it, the amount of sheer hubris and uh, there's yeah. that man killed those people like yeah it, I, I, in, a, in a way i guess but they all you know they had their own i don't know man i don't know i i don't want to talk i don't want to hear about the titanic ever again in my entire life dude i don't <laughs> i was gonna say I, this has turned into an accidental like 20 minute titanic tangent i didn't intend for that um and I, here, here's my so uh, I'm angry about it because Elliot Smith was snubbed at the Oscars that year for My Heart Will Go On. If you listen to Miss Misery and you listen to My Heart Will Go On and you say that My Heart Will Go On is a better piece of art than Miss Misery, you deserve to have a meteorite hit you. Okay, <laughs> and and so I think that was that's the real tragedy. That was the real damn tragedy that happened, not the boat sinking, not the submarine. Is that Elliot Smith got snubbed? So I may be a little bit biased in that sense. And then also the fact that I was dragged to like maybe three different Titanic uh, exhibitions where they had like a whole bunch of stuff from the ship and like pictures and stories that I had to walk through for like two hours with my my grandmother and my aunt, my uncle and my dad. And I just didn't want to be there and I hated it the whole time. And it happened three times and I, I just, 
I'm over it, Chris. I'm over the Titanic. <laughs> um, the I want to hear about it. The, the last thing I'll say with it, and then we should wrap, is the other thing I found frustrating out of the, the whole sub thing is at the same time, there was that ship with uh, like five to 700 refugees that also went down and went missing. And I didn't hear about that till later through a random tweet or internet post. And you couldn't escape the sub. And I'm like, not that, like, yeah, one both suck one sucks a lot more and that other one you probably didn't have to sign a waiver <laughs> or have some guy being like safeties be damned and they get in the way of innovation like one is substantially more had much more of an impact on human life and had a lot more tragedy and is a lot less like once just straight up like, okay, look, you knew the risks. It is a, as messed up as it is. It's like, yeah, no, it is a mess around and find out situation. Like, that's something y'all willingly put yourself into. A ship with five to 700 refugees, that's not a willing, uh, you can't call that as much of a willing situation. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. One thousand percent. Oh, dude. I, Sinners, I, every damn last one of us. I, I've been on the record <laughs> of being like, everybody sucks. Human sucks. As a species, we're terrible. I like individuals. Yeah. But as a, like, if I'm looking at us as a category, we are the worst. And if I, <laughs> yeah. if people would be like, if you were ever in the position of God, would you have flooded the earth? I would have been like, I wouldn't, I would have done it. And I wouldn't have given us that second chance. Let alone no. <laughs> many that we have. I would have just been like, no, we're no. done. Like it's, it's over. I look forward to the sweet release of death <laughs> here. Let's so to wrap things on a lighter note, because we always try to end that. Um, what's something you've been, you've been watching or listening to that you've been vibing to a lot lately, sir. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. What about you, man? Um, so I've been on a, to a degree, a bit of a Spider-Man kick. I saw across the Spider-Verse. It was friggin' dope. Um, loved it. I was not expecting to love it as much as I did, but it's, it's fantastic. Um, my hope going in was like, okay, as long as it's not a huge downgrade from into the Spider-Verse and I didn't think it would be, but sequels can sometimes be not as good but i'd put it up as just as good so that was that was dope um i'm off of work now so 
listening. I'm trying to listen to podcasts more because I went down a huge audiobook rabbit trail. Um, I've been watching some cool video game retros, uh, retrospectives um, off of off of the Arkham games. Um, so those have been really, really interesting. Um, I wish I could remember the channels, but haven't been listening to music as much. But yeah. Right, yeah, you told me about that. Mm. about the challenges yeah. they face, their ideas, how they achieve their ideas, why they had to cut back, like just the, and I really like the contextually what was going on in video games in the day and because there was a lot of stuff going on at that time like around Super Nintendo um that was just revolutionary like just constant just crazy improvements uh and and innovation in gameplay is it's just fascinating the stuff that they had to do to get what they got on those consoles, you know. Yeah. No, uh, video game retrospectives, I, when done well, I can find very, very interesting. The ones on the um, the Arkham games that I've watched, I've really appreciated how the... Because it's been uh, two different people who've done like the whole series. Um, what I dug with it was they'd bring... At points, they'd bring their own personal opinion, but then they'd also do a lot of the legwork where they'd be... Like the first 20 minutes is... Like, here's the story for the setup of this game and why, like, why it got made and why it got made the way it did. And they talk to the, like, they do interview clips with the developers. Mm -hmm. So you're hearing it from them and their perspective and why certain things were in it the way they were or why they weren't. Um, and then going into the story or into the game where it's like, okay, that actually provides a lot of context uh, for why it was or like Arkham Asylum which springboarded the the whole thing and like without that game you wouldn't have the Insomniac Spider-Man games. Um it was that was the thing of the Dark Knight game, the movie tying game was so bad that another studio lost the license and then Rocksteady got it and they were given like a short time. I can't remember how, like how long but for a game like that you'd think they'd need to develop it for a couple of years. And it, I think they were given three months or something something small like that, mm. where if the game turns out playable, it's that's the expectation. But then you got this amazing game that has it's better than it has any right to be, um, and something similar with Arkham Origins, and then all that where it's just like that's really cool how you're you're seeing this and then applying it to the context to the brighter stuff and then what the developers were planning. Um, so you're getting that artistic side and not a studio just being like, go make money. Um, I, I like those, I like those stories. Fascinating. Yeah. I, I like those stories where like they're facing this almost insurmountable problem. And it's like, this is the hail Mary. This is the final hour. This is like, we yeah. got And they, they managed to do it. They managed to get it all working. And, and it's just like, it, I, I watched this interview with Todd Howard and he, he created the elder scrolls franchise. Uh, Mm -hmm. and he developed Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 
Um, and his story is amazing. Like he was making games as early as he could when he was six on like the very first computers and stuff. Not making games, but he was learning how to code and stuff like that. And then um, eventually, you know, as a teen, he goes to Bethesda Softworks uh, in Maryland and he goes to the offices and he's like, I'm going to be working here someday. And they're like, do you have a resume? He's like, no, but I'll, I'll be back. Right. And then so he comes back and uh, he makes a couple games for them, and they're 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 interesting. They're well-made games, but they're not selling well, right? They're kind of flops. And then eventually, he makes um, a Morrowind, uh, The Elder Scrolls Morrowind, and it is a huge hit. It's like a revolutionary RPG. And then he does it again with Oblivion, um, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, and 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 at this point, oh, and by the way, he went back to Bethesda, right? And he got like he made those at Bethesda, and. Um, so at this point, after making two huge hit games, uh, they're like, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want to do? And he's like, I want Fallout. I want the Fallout franchise. And so Bethesda went out and bought him the Fallout franchise. And then he was able to make Fallout 3, which was up until that point, um, Fallout was a, a top-down, turn-based sort of game. And he turned it into a first-person, third-person, open-world RPG and uh, it was wildly successful and it's just it's so interesting to hear this guy talk about his ideas and and everything he's, he's accomplished he's he's a legendary game developer he's like uh, Miyamoto uh, who invented um, Legend of Zelda and Super Mario and Donkey Kong and uh, he or like Ken Levine who who made Bioshock or, or like Hideo Kojima who made Metal Gear and Death Stranding right um, these are all huge like legendary game developers huge these these guys are the uh, savants you know the, the guys you want to listen to are you still there yes <laughs> yeah no no I, I, i'm sorry i was fascinated by what you were saying yeah. i was hanging on every word and then hit the silence so i'm like i don't know how to respond because uh, all i've got is yeah but that doesn't do it justice because i'm like no that's very interesting i'm sorry <laughs> it's like you didn't even you didn't even leave me room for i don't even have a question i'm just i'm just taken aback <laughs> so I'm just like no because no, I'm like dang that's really really interesting and a, a, a good point um, and an interesting tale and yeah yeah because <laughs> there's such a, oh, a, sorry. A, a melding of the left and right brain right like you the way he talks about the, the tone of games and it's something that you can't really quantify but all of his games nail it when you hear him attempt to describe what he's talking about and he does a decent job you understand like uh, intrinsically after having experienced the games like you know what he's talking about and it he's clearly an artist but he's clearly very proficient in like coding and math and stuff like that right uh it, it, the guy's a renaissance man i don't know i'm just very impressed by him i i, I want to be like him i <laughs> Well, and the video game medium is just such an interesting one, because like you said, it combines, it does do the left and right brain bit, but then also, like, it's at a point now where, for the most part, I think it's long-form storytelling, but hmm. in a way, I'd be like, it's long-form like a book, but it's a predominantly visual medium, but it's such a story driven one, like visual mediums of film and TV shows. Like, sure. It might get up to like 
12 hours or something but video game play some video games can go like 40 hours on the main quest let alone all the side stuff to do and then just the sheer amount of work that has to go into it um like a huge open world thing and all the details i've been replaying um i replayed valhalla and i've just finished replaying um odyssey and eventually i do want to get origins and i know how much there is to do in those games but then it's like it's such a huge scope and then all the little stories but then all the details on all these spots it's got such a long it's such an engaging and different medium with where you're taking so many other mediums and coalescing them into one yeah it's it's fascinating it, it's it's like you have it, there's so many different groups of people working on so many chunks of the map or different aspects of the, the map or the experience and it's it's really uh, a logistical feat to coordinate all these different yeah. teams and and artists and efforts and devs and stuff uh which is it's weird because I think a lot of games fail due to very poor management. And when you hear about the ones that like there are more than a few that I've been very excited for, they come out, they're not great. We read about the development and we see that oh, okay, it was there wasn't a, a coherent um, goal until like the last you know maybe third of the development cycle. Um, they were switched to like oh it's going to be this type of game. No, it's going to be that type of game. Oh, we're we're switching this and it, they were just jerked around by management who couldn't coordinate or figure out a, a vision, right and um, so I, I think there's this aspect of like, yeah, it's, it's, it is easy and you are right to blame management most of the time for when games come out and that they aren't what they were reported to be or what you thought they'd be. But at the same time, I think there's this aspect of just understanding that it, it is a monumental feat in and of itself to get all these teams together, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, especially, especially with modern video games, um, like... This isn't taking away from any of the earlier ones, but the amount of work that would even go into, say, a modern Mario game compared to what would have been done when Mario was Plumber Man in Donkey Kong or in that original game where it's like, oh, I climbed some stuff and avoid some barrels as they roll. It's so different. And the like the scope involved has just gotten so much bigger not taking away from anything that they used to do, like they used to do, but it's it's very very different. Yeah, one aspect of it that I really I find interesting or fascinating or that I enjoy or appreciate is, you know, with, I'll use Miyamoto as an example. Like he created Donkey Kong, he created it um, within the limitations of the 16-bit system, and yeah, um, you know, he created Mario, did the same. Uh, Legend Zelda. One thing I really, really enjoy is the innovation that occurred at the time. Um, given that they had so the limitations were so strict, right? And the things that they had to do to achieve what they did on the hardware is, is truly innovational and truly creative uh, act. Like it's in, it's inspiring. And what I really like about the story is that, you know, he. I, I'll I'll speak to me. I'm sure there's a bunch of other developers who have the same sort of trajectory, but I'll speak specifically to Miyamoto, where he built these these games and then as they grew in popularity and time went on he had to learn how to make games for the SNES and then the 64 and then the GameCube and technology just keeps changing and changing and they keep getting these tools that are more comprehensive and broad and and allow them to do things they've never done before and it's amazing that this man can consistently make good games um 
while still having to learn everything all over again, essentially in a lot of ways, right? Like it's, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, I love it. I love it so much. I, I, there's so much I never appreciated about making a video game or, or the humanity behind it or the human experience behind it that, that I do now as, as an adult or now I'm older. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's, this could have been an episode in and un in and of itself actually dude i'm, um, I'm glad it's... we did an hour 48 because i'm gonna be cutting a lot i'm telling you yeah no i'm I'm just like you could probably we could probably trim like a huge chunk of it um yeah all right, all sir, that unfortunately stuff, i do remove. gotta oh sure sure yeah. uh unfortunately i do gotta get going um but i i love that note and it, you're a lot of fun to talk games with um just because i it, like I'm into games where it's, they've got the pre, the the pre liking to, uh, but I'm also interested in it as an art form. But you're like you've you're interested you're a gamer and you're interested in it in an art form. So you've got a very well like well put together perspective on it. That's it's interesting to me, and it's nice that it's interesting and something you find interesting mm, yeah. <laughs> and fun to talk about. Uh, you're being nice and positive. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Titanic again. Function... <laughs> <laughs> so I can be angry at you. Um... Chris, I'm sorry. I didn't. All I don't right, well, actually. I, I didn't no, mean to, if I no, if I made you feel bad or if I was came off like a dick in that. No, dude. Okay, no, good, no, good, good. no. And honestly, I, I, I like when you brought up like I don't know that much about it. I'm like, right. Because not everybody, <laughs> my internal monologue was like, right, Chris, because not everybody is nearly as interested in this as you are for whatever reason you find this so interesting. Yeah, I don't know what you gotta happened not to assume you. everybody's at the same playing level. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if like some formative event occurred while watching Titanic. I'm not going to get into it, uh, but I don't <laughs> <laughs> No, fair enough. All right, well, dear listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Radio <laughs> Arcade um, and our random ramblings, but also fascinating topics into video games and um, other things, because, sorry, um, my brain's just hiccuping. I'm very tired. <laughs> it's okay, man. It's okay. I'm, I'm just thinking about how I'm going to make a theme song about how much I don't like the Titanic. Hey, gosh. Okay, here's, here's my friendly challenge for you. Somehow do it to set it to the instrumental of my heart will go on. Nail those notes. I, I dare. Listen, I, I, and I'm not saying it's a better song than Miss Misery. I'm not saying that at all. But my heart will go on is a dope song. And Celine Dion's vocals on it are incredible. The notes she, the notes she hits. My gosh, sir. I, I. By committee, it is an immoral act, and oh I will not. I will, I will do no such thing, sir. No, I, I was. I was thinking like, <laughs> so what? A ship hit I'm... an iceberg. Womp womp. It happened all the time, and I. Don't... <laughs> I, I, in my head, I was just picturing you being like, no one can, like trying to hit her notes, but like, who cares? Or whatever. Just, I don't know. I would know what I would do, dude. I would just sing one note the entire time. It would just be the single <laughs> note. And I will go on or something, not caring just, about Titanic. I don't know. 
<laughs> just to infuriate just, me. No, <laughs> it's funny. It's like you're. It's a byproduct. I want everyone else who likes Titanic to be mad. I, I, I. It's just. It's sad for me that you're going to be I'm, disappointed I'm, as well. I'm the target. I'm the target. Uh, no, no I'm, I always appreciate your themes. <laughs> your casualty and, and I appreciate a good parody. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't do it, but I do. All right. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I'm looking forward to the theme and. Yeah. All right, everybody. I hope you have a great day. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you're up in Ontario with us, stay cool. Hopefully, there's no more forest fires, so we're not just breathing in smoke. Um, and nature can do its thing and not be burning and dying. <laughs> Christian, take us out. <laughs> Who gives a shit about the Titanic? Am I right? <laughs> and then the theme song slowly builds. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> That would actually be a hilarious ending. All right. Hope you all have a great one and take care. Take care. In the poison rain, down the drain to put bad thoughts in my head. To the tickets torn half of nothing. Baby